Welcome back to Feminist Futures. I'm your co-host, Wallace Grant. And I'm Lauren Williams. Lovely to be back. Lovely to be back. And we're in a living room again, sitting on the floor. We are. <laughs> we find our spot. We find our niche. We're like, but we're now in your <laughs> living room, which is very fun, in London. Yes. Um, so we're just, it's so nice to be able to do it in person again, which is very good. We're both feeling a little bit on the hangover side of things, but yeah. welcome to Speaking our cozy living Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not feeling particularly healthy this morning. Um, yes. But we've both got our coffees. We've got our coffees. Croissants. And a series of talking points for today's exactly. topic. Exactly. <laughs> We're ready to go. No, um, it's, uh, yeah, it feels like we've got a little nest. This feels like a nice thing to do on a hangover. Not that the friends I'm staying with were like, that sounds like the worst thing I want to do right now. But actually it makes me, you're engaging your brain, you're trying new things. You're exactly. Talking about it. And I actually think Sundays when you like, make the most of them rather than just being you lying exactly. in bed sometimes you can feel you know a bit high and mighty and um yeah <laughs> holier than thou in terms of using my sundays effectively to exactly. basically record a podcast it did force me to get up and actually uh stop watching new girl yeah. um which i have are now re- re-watching for like oh, the third it's time it's such a comfort show isn't it it yeah. really is and actually move on to reading articles about people's experience of endometriosis so it's a good it's a good transition there you go <laughs> the pipeline <laughs> Um, but on that, that topic, what are we talking about today, Wallace? Well, for this month's podcast, we're talking about access to healthcare for women, the barriers that exist, experiences, why there's a gendered gap there, you know, spoiler alert, there is one, as there is with everything else. <laughs> Unsurprising. <laughs> Unsurprising. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a topic we were just saying that like, there's so much depth to it. So we're going to kind of say we're not going to be able to dive into all of it right now, but I th- we're hopefully we're going to be able to cover some of the barriers and also kind of dive into a little bit of individual topics and talk about our experiences and some that people have kind of said to us so thank you to those who reached out um that we kind of went to the um out on the Instagram it was so funny I did the Instagram and I was really happy with myself because I did a cute little I love Canva and then you my partner was like there's a spelling mistake in it and I was like no like so upset I was no. like oh, you know what you're like I, I didn't even notice <laughs> exactly. that so like, you're okay yeah I feel um, like people would be more preoccupied by the giant vagina yeah exactly it was beautiful it was yeah. okay yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that he was like I don't need to focus on that yeah. I will focus on the spelling instead <laughs> Um, no, we are indeed tackling access to female healthcare. And I was saying to Wallace, I think as women, we immediately know that there is yeah. there are issues here. However, for people who might be listening that um, are, are not women, yeah. um, I was kind of wanting to start by contextualising in terms of like what the issue actually is. Yeah. And so I started to, you know, do a little bit of research, get myself some talking points. And interestingly... Uh, there were a lot of things I didn't actually know um, in mm. there. So, for example, I obviously know that women on average tend to live longer than men. Yeah. But one of the key points that are highlighted is actually women spend a larger proportion of their lives uh, versus men with illness or disability at some point. Um, however, is that also because men just do just stupid shit and die early? Is that part of it? Or? <laughs> I don't know what? I actually think they just they factored in the actual length of their lives and it was more I think it was a mixture of like obviously women go through like pregnancy and there are just so many complications that come with that um that actually and and like cancer and uh, different you know different uh phases of a woman's life and the different things that kind of affect them in terms of their hormonal imbalance um meant that that resulted much more in in a high proportion of, of women um and in spite of that the healthcare system has predominantly been created and uh, by men for men despite the fact that that uh, women make up that large proportion and then some of the other things that we wanted to kind of 
I suppose touch upon is the fact that um, issues that are very specific to women yeah. um, tend to be uh, much less spoken about, often very yeah. stigmatised. So um, periods, menopause, pregnancy, massively um, underrepresented in terms of A, the conversation, but also in things like clinical trials of kind of medication. Yeah. So it just felt like a really... Offer- the, the, the number one thing that came out when I was reading about it was how women felt... Um, that they weren't heard, their voices were not heard in their kind of treatment experience and didn't really feel seen. And that was one of the key things that they wanted to um, focus on. Also, one of the interesting things that I hadn't really thought about, and I suppose this is because of the fact that we are, you know, in our late 20s, was the fact that like traditionally healthcare systems are focused like very narrowly on maternal care in terms of um, obviously pregnancy. (laughs) However... Uh, they're looking to kind of broaden that to focus much more on reproductive healthcare as a as a whole. And there was a, a, a survey that was done called Women's Health. Let's talk about it by Ooh. the government in 2021. They love to do snappy little like some comms person came up with that. Love yeah, that for you. I love it. It's quite it's quite uh, factual. Women's yeah, health. Yeah. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it. it. <laughs> yeah. um, and it highlighted a number of things. Women often were not taken seriously by medical professionals. They repeatedly had to self-advocate for themselves in terms of seeking treatment making sure that um people were taking them seriously and uh, had limited opportunities to actually discuss or ask questions or challenge the treatment that they were given um which versus the experience of men and then talking about in terms of like this kind of broadening of the framework they asked people about the top topics that exist women's health topics and how much information they felt they had mm-hmm. on those particular subjects to yep. identify where there was the biggest gap and uh, 59% of respondents said that they had plenty of information on how to prepare or prevent a pregnancy yep. uh, versus only 17% uh, having enough information on topics such as menstrual well-being for example wow. which is obviously something yep. that starts at the age of 11 versus yep. pregnancy being something I mean technically you can um, those two things should almost like come hand in hand. Totally. As soon as you can have a period, yeah. you can technically have a baby. And yeah. um, I just found that kind of disparity um, really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and exactly as Wallace said, um, no, by no means are we going to solve this. Uh, yeah. Even though we are sat in our little nest yeah, and exactly. we have our hungover I brains. Feel poor, I feel, I've had one coffee. I feel powerful enough for us to solve access to women's healthcare by the end of this, end exactly. of this podcast. But, but the, it is such a layered topic and yeah. the barriers that exist range from like physical and geographical yes. barriers yeah. in terms of women often being like the primary... Uh, childcare provider and therefore totally. can't necessarily prioritize time to, to go and visit their GP but also cultural as well in terms yeah. of obviously that taboo and stigma that uh, is attached to a lot of women's health topics and how you know even as simple as needing a female doctor means yeah. that you are restricted in terms of like the GPs that you might be able to um, access yeah totally and obviously as we always try and highlight uh, as best as possible as two white women massive intersectionality in this topic in terms of the disparities in experience between different um, race or ethnicities sexual orientation there was massive feedback actually around particularly when it came to uh, lesbian couples potentially trying to um, seek reproductive support Um, and there was big big differences in the experiences they had with GPs and the conversations that they had. Yeah I can imagine like a GP like if you've got quite a traditional GP and this is me kind of thinking in my head of 
some of the older men or women that you've ever seen in your GP practices where you have a couple coming in for a straight couple coming in for for IVF IVF treatment versus like a a lesbian couple or a gay couple like I can imagine that's also also different in terms of that but I think yeah really interestingly one of the stats that always gets me is is the is the black maternal mortality and you were saying it comes up in every report like Mm. you're four times more likely to die in child in, in in childbirth um if you are a black woman in the UK than you are if you are white and the ethnicity also the intersections if you're you know um from another ethnic minority as well black hispanic that kind of thing and mm-hmm. stuff in terms of it kind of changes but for black women and i think over the last couple of years there's been some really interesting documentaries to highlight some of the big things candace braithwaite who's like a kind of influencer and writer and stuff she talked about how she nearly died in, in childbirth and she was not given the attention because they thought sort of thought that she was making it up or like that wow. kind of thing and there's all these stories about how like perceptions and obviously bias and racial bias plays into how women are women are treated i think famously serena williams also like yeah. nearly kind of like died and in, 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 in giving childbirth and i think that on a basis is 2023 20, now and we're still you know not able to have a like the fact that like there's some women who go into childbirth and they know that they're not going to be treated with respect or be listened to in that way yeah. is just so crazy to me and and the fact that it is so racially profiled is such a huge huge problem yeah in the uk and it's um particularly with maternal health care that is a topic that has been around since time began exactly it's exactly not, you know and we'll come to something like endometriosis yeah. in terms yeah. of women's health care issues that have become increasingly spoken about where yeah. they were hidden before they are now known and now spoken about and that can somewhat explain i suppose the gap that, that exists there yeah. but with something like uh pregnancy people have been giving birth for a long time like <laughs> how long is time. still you know and yeah. obviously there are risks involved in any yeah. sort of natural procedure but uh to have that stat and it's so bleak and uh yeah. is, is is a real exactly as you said a really really good example of where we need to consider all of these different factors when we're looking at what the barriers are to, to women accessing healthcare. I think for me, one of the interesting things, and this kind of comes on to like personal experience when we were talking about this like earlier that, you know, with with healthcare, particularly when I'm thinking about giving birth and stuff, right? Women have given birth for, or women and people who can give birth have done it for time on end and stuff. And there's really studies that show that you had a lot of these kind of like, um, midwives who often were like black women in the US or like indigenous women or like you know kind of working class women who helped and they had techniques and stuff and then throughout the sort of late 1800s into the 1900s it became this medicalized thing and men came in and took over and they did these kind of things and stuff and I think one of the things that's really interesting about when you look at how people did it is that there was a lot of focus on like what is the what is the person who's giving birth feeling Mm. how are they feeling how are they happening because one of the things that shocked me about it was that your due date that you have when you're giving birth is actually very inaccurate so it could be Mm. six weeks in or out but we get to a point now where I think in the UK if you're two weeks over your due date you go into medically induced like you're kind of pushed not pushed into that but you're suggested that you do that but if your baby is just like cooking up there and you're happy with and there's nothing wrong with you why are we putting such an attribute on kind of that kind of thing and I think there's some women who say that they go into this experience of childbirth and I know that we're talking specifically about this right now but you know these issues and they feel like they're not listened to and they're Mm -hmm. not kind of kind of had their choice is not taken choice yeah and I think for for me like one of the reasons that I hadn't learned knows my (laughs) my 
reasons for wanting to do this episode was that, you know, broadening it out, I think contraception is one of the biggest areas where, you know, as women and people who have uteruses, like we're the ones who like experience this. And there are so many issues with women not being listened to in mm. terms of contraception, whether it's, you know, being put on something that they don't like, you know, as you were saying, every one is individual. So they have, you know, differences in that way. But my own personal experience is that I've had um, three IUDs now. So has um, not an IED as one of <laughs> Lauren's guy friends thought we were talking about. I was um, <laughs> out for dinner with some friends and I was talking about uh, IUDs. And yeah, he was pretty convinced I was talking about IEDs, despite the fact that we were obviously talking about vaginas yeah. in the same <laughs> sentence. Actually, to the extent that I was trying to explain that and the waiter leant over to say, sorry, did I just hear the word explosive <laughs> in the same sentence I was like, like oh good yes. to know that you're listening to this conversation and that we can spread awareness and yeah. education wherever I go what is um, the A stands for intra 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 uterus device uterine an intrauterine device so so if anyone who doesn't know I there's there's this is kind of more colloquially known as the coil and I have the merino one which is the hormone one so it's a tiny one that goes in and emits it in that kind of way And I got out the first one when I was like maybe 19 or 20 and I had to try the pill before. It made me a crazy person. Like genuinely, I remember this coming off it and this cloud of kind of air lifting from it. And so I would say that is the most uh, popular description that I have heard is quite literally that cloud fogginess being lifted and how scary it was that when you're in in that, you don't recognize it it's only when you step out of it that you can realize how much it was affecting your ability to make decisions and yeah quite literally see straight i've decided that i'm going to become a birth control truther you know how there's new people have conspiracy theories my theory is that it's fucking shit for us and they're just like telling us lies all the time because people constantly say oh i put on weight i felt depressed i did this and the doctors go oh no you're fine and it feels like it's weird that we're all having this collective experience and then but it's being ignored so yeah i also the um about contraceptives in general they were obviously kind of game changing in the women's liberation movement in terms of the ability to control you know whether or not you got pregnant and however so i think like almost that that freedom and liberation covered up or i suppose like outweighed the negative side effects that contraceptives have and i i mean i don't know necessarily any of the kind of science or, or facts behind it but i know for a fact obviously they have been trialing a male contraceptive yeah yeah and there's been significant setbacks in terms of the side effects that men report um however and that makes me think that potentially that same level of like rigor and at the point at which you know uh, female contraceptives were introduced if we had the same yeah. Uh, criteria now you know that we, that we do nowadays would it still pass and would it still be made as publicly available with such little information available to people totally um and i do think on the other point on the pill that maybe because i was trying to think about how the the female experience of, of healthcare is different um and obviously I, as i can't speak to a male perspective necessarily but yeah. i was thinking about the things that are specific to us and one of the things about the pill is how I, it made me realize how much of my information about female contraceptives I get from my friends and my friends' experiences. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. However, as we've already alluded to, it's such a highly individualized. It's so it's, yeah. if it's hormonal, if it's brain chemistry, you know, it's yeah. it's specific to you. So I shouldn't really be accessing information 
from my friends because it's my experience not theirs. I should obviously. be adding to what you're learning from other places you exactly. know what I mean but it feels like it, I totally get it it feels like there's this gap and I think that's because we just don't get it from the sources and like when I went to get my first IUD so I, I, I like for anyone who knows they they insert it um they don't give you any pain medication they offer a kind of uh, a, a jag that goes into your cervix but it just hurts as just as much so it's not the actual inserting of it that hurts what happens is they have this like literal medieval torture thing that looks if you want to google it that like clips onto your cervix and then to keep it in place because it moves around a little bit and then they put it in sorry if anyone's eating or whatever like this is the reality maybe of it. we should put some warning yeah yes yeah. trigger warning <laughs> but i am um, I was, I was really, I, I had no idea. The doctor didn't tell me it was going to be painful. So what happened was I turned up at the clinic. My mum came with me. It was in St. Andrews actually. And um, we were, I, she said to me, the nurse was really nice. And she was like, oh, have you, have you had one before? And I was like, no. And she was like, oh, okay. And she just gave me this look and I thought, oh shit. So they did it. And I swear to God, like I, it was the most blinding pain in the entire world. It was very quick. Don't get me wrong. And I was, I was really happy. I was like, really lucky that it wasn't a drawn out experience, but I was like, you need to get my mom. I'm going to be sick. I wasn't, but it was okay. But basically like I was so blindsided by it and so upset, you know, and were you able to be escorted into the room or did your mom just come and then you had to go into like, was she there when it actually So happened? she wasn't in with me, but yeah. basically my mum used to be a nurse. So I was like, if I'm going to be sick, I'm kind of happy to be sick yeah. on her slash around her because she knows. And she's also very like, she's like, you'll be fine. But I just need, I, like, I, I think it was just this initial shock of like, and and what they tell you is that there's going to be mild discomfort to pain with it. But there's like all these stats that show for like a really high percentage of women, 70%. They say that it was like mildly painful to not extreme. Mm. I've heard stories of people passing out. I've, I mean, so I basically I've had three since then. The IUD is an amazing like contraceptive. It's the best one I've ever been on. The second one I got changed, it was like really quick and really good. But in between the times since then, I've been recovering from a sexual assault. So I have kind of a lot of like nervous anxiety about getting a smear test. Lots of people have that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So for my third one, I thought I was getting it done when I was in the Netherlands. And it just, it just didn't go the way I wanted to. Like they managed to take out the old one, but I was so nervous. I was mm. a combination of nerves, horrible, the pain. I brought my husband in to watch it with me because I was like, I want you to see what I'm going through. <laughs> I think he was genuinely quite shocked, but I was like, no, you need to yeah. see this because... She managed to get the the old one out and I like I, I was like I need to be sick I need to be sick so I literally like jumped off the bed with the thing still in me like the what do you call it the horrible clamp thing run the, the medieval device. not the medieval torture but you know the one that's called yes. the I can't remember what it's called the one that no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. also medieval torture it has this horrible noise <laughs> and I was sick in the sick in the sink but and it was just this horrible horrible experience and so as a result of this, I know some friends who've had this done as well, where I had to go to my doctor and I was like, I want this done under medication. I want this done under anesthetic. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually they said yes. And then I had the best experience ever. I went into a day bed. I got a little IV, whatever. I got put under. I got it done and I came out of it and I felt so good. Yeah. Now I'm not saying for, for some people, if they feel comfortable, apparently if you have a baby already, it's like it goes up Fine. no problem because right. you're already like in that way. Yeah. But the fact that we don't get anything, cocodamol, anything, any kind of pain medication yeah. to numb that is so crazy to me because it is one of the worst experiences that I've ever had in my life. Like, well, weirdly, I think psychologically as well, um, it's like the fact that you can't see it. Like it's like, you yeah. know, when you get um, an injection or something and you can like see 
yeah where it's going and like yeah. what's happening and how you but like yeah. it's 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 such an obviously an awkward angle from a individual perspective yeah. that I can imagine that's quite psychologically challenging. It's the lack well. of control, and I think it's also as as we were saying, like it's this thing that you're not taken seriously. So mm. like when you know when you're told, oh, it's only supposed to be mild discomfort or mildly painful, right? Mildly painful, to, th- like that is not what it is yeah. on any kind of level. And anyone who's seen somebody go through that knows that. And so you get into this weird thing where like, if I say I'm in pain, are they going to listen to me? And I think for a lot of women, that's what it is. Like they're trying to explain that to the kind of person who's supposed to be representing their healthcare and then it doesn't it doesn't come through yeah I, I mean this must be a universal issue in the sense that like people experience pain very differently totally so for them they have to obviously be deliberately generic in the way that they describe it but i can imagine as but, a male but i honestly doctor, think i honestly think it's not i think it's that they like I do I do think that they have to describe it in that way but stats show that like a majority of women find it so painful do yeah. you know what I mean so there's like some gaslighting going on here where you're like no but they're like no mild discomfort and you're like mild discomfort yeah it's almost like, like updating to be like what yeah. are you basing that on like exactly. are you basing that on like proportionate to uh giving birth yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh, exactly it's yeah. mild discomfort or have you actually polled women who have recently had it who have not had children yes potentially, exactly and not taking an average of like it's almost just building out the guidance to be slightly because realistically like yeah i suppose in terms of the ages that people are going to be having this it is like pre-children for at least a yeah. period of time until yeah. you want to actually have one um or potentially at the point at which you've had multiple so like the two experiences yeah. will be completely, completely different. different yeah um but no i think and i think that um that example is Exactly, it's touched upon so many of the things that when you look into like the research and uh, the government's, you know, women's health strategy, it is about feeling heard. It is about um, options and feeling like educated enough to make choices about the type of treatment that you receive. Because as Wallace mentioned at the beginning, we actually posted out on our Instagram story and asked for people to kind of reach out with their own experiences. Um, The pill was another big topic that kind of came up repeatedly in terms of obviously you alluded to kind of mentally the impact that it had on you but more people just feeling like there was a real lack of like data and information available to them that was not uh from the nhs like when you got given a drug you were kind of quite reliant on the gp um yeah and their their recommendation based on you know the limited information that you were able to provide in that session and it was it can be quite it can feel like a burden because like disproportionately the you know contraception is put on the women exactly. to to manage it and it feels like yeah. such a price to pay for something that gives you control over other aspects i think another example is that anyone who's been on reaccutin for for acne i don't know if you it's like a really strong medication for it right but they make you go on the pill with it because if you get pregnant with it the the feet the fetus will have lots of abnormalities right wow so um so I got I, I had quite bad acne and I went on it and the pill again this was when I was what the first time I tried the pill and it really messed with me like my mm. parents noticed such a change like I was really up and down a lot that kind of thing and the thing that annoyed me is that I wasn't having sex mm. so there was no chance of me being pregnant but because right. they just assumed oh you're 15 16 or whatever and like I think this is also about this this kind of we have a quite a patern- paternalistic approach when it comes to women mm. where we're like oh but you can't be trusted instead of saying like I'm not having sex or that I'm going to trust myself to like you know do those kind of things and yeah and then as I said it came off it and the other thing just on the contraceptive thing when I went to get my IUD changed for the second time you have to go into the doctor and obviously you take time off work and we talked about all the barriers to that 
Now I um I did some research and I was like, what do I have to do? Like, is there anything that kind yeah. of thing? Now I had to search the depths of like the NHS website if not to find this. You're not allowed to have unprotected sex for 10 days up until you get your IUD changed, right? So obviously I'm with my partner. We're not using condoms at the moment because I have an IUD. If I had gone in that day and said, oh, I had unprotected sex two or three days ago, they would have said you have to come back in 10 days once you've had not had unprotected sex. Now I took that time off work and that kind of thing. Yeah. So when I went in, I said to the doctor, oh yeah, no, I actually phoned. I remember I phoned the reception and I said, hey, is there anything I should know? And they were like, no, 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 it's no, just come in. Now- these are other things where it's like that information I explained to a few friends, like you were saying, and they had no idea either. Yeah. So they were like, oh shit, I've got to do this. And it's like, how is that not available? Where is yeah. that not a thing? Because somebody's taking off time. If you've got childcare, if you're working a zero hour contract and you're losing money for that, horrible. Yeah. So I am. Um, yeah. The other, the other big barrier that to be honest, I had only thought about was that, which is uh, from a religious perspective, is quite a lot of yeah. uh, women that can only, uh, be seen by women female practitioners as well totally. and um that was something that there were some experiences that I saw in terms of nurses talking about having to be pulled in kind of to conduct you know their, their examinations because they hadn't even like thought about it and only had male GPs on hand and then yeah they had to find like the one woman in the building because yeah. otherwise uh, the lady wouldn't be able to leave and come back because exactly that it was half term yeah. and a really difficult time and I was like wow that is the sort of thing that should feel quite fundamental in in terms of the access to it. And the other topic that interestingly came up from speaking to kind of friends and family was HRT, so hormone replacement therapy, which Which is... what you have when you have menopause, when you're going through menopause, Yeah, exactly. So it's very much, obviously, menopause is when your hormone levels basically significantly drop as as a woman. So it's formally, I think, 12 months post your last uh, period, basically, Mm -hmm. is when you are successfully uh, going through the menopausal period and hormone replacement therapy there's a lot of side effects of menopause in terms of obviously the classic sort of hot flushes but a lot of it is actually and it's interesting because I've heard people refer to it as like the equivalent of like baby brain but like in the sense that you become super forgetful it can actually have like um, really because oestrogen is one of the hormones that that significantly drops and oestrogen actually has like massive protective uh, factors against things like schizophrenia so actually women you know can border on like psychosis and schizophrenic uh, tendencies at a very different age actually to at the peak of men because men often get diagnosed in their sort of 20s there's this amazing article in the cut i think i sent it to you where it was basically talking about how there are all these women who are going through the menopause and they are experiencing schizophrenia but because it's so seen as like a young person's disease or 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 condition and but they don't present it in the same way but they had all these case studies incredible like this woman who was a researcher in a university and she was like work researching World War War II and she thought that like the Nazis were after her and she like bunkered down in her office and what they did is they toyed around with giving her estrogen and they were like new people yeah and and, but this is like not even like like not even talked about like it's really niche element we can link it in the show notes an amazing article like it was was incredible research I hadn't appreciated and obviously as a younger woman I suppose you don't think about necessarily the health topics that don't affect you like why worry about things that might be you know I think the menopause is particularly tabooed I think it's probably the most tabooed woman's topic still yeah in terms of just like understanding yeah I would say I mean we could do a whole episode on 
uh, like the workplace and oh, dealing with my mum always says this thing where she's like you know the um for like pregnant women there's lots of like uh like givens grievances given or like oh we'll open the window we'll close the window that yeah. kind of thing and mom's like what about all the menopausal women like we want the window open or we want to be like yeah um and interesting with hrt one of the things that um uh was mentioned was that davina mccall did a documentary a menopause documentary yeah. the first in the uk does in between her fitness videos? Or Most likely. Yeah. Oh no, whilst doing that. <laughs> whilst doing she, she was dancing around whilst doing this documentary. I would watch that actually, yeah. And it was called Sex Myths and the Menopause. Yes. And yeah. um, I love, there was an article, I think it was in The Observer, that was like, it really t- focused on the keep calm and carry on and shut up notion attached to yeah. female um, health topics. And um, it, I, I can't remember if this was either the second one or they just replayed it, but they were anticipating like a 30% surge in HRT demand wow. um, because of because of this documentary yeah. yeah but interestingly it's it is life-changing in terms of people literally feeling like a light bulb yeah. being switched back on in in their in their minds and it feels like it's just a more general awareness which is that the number of HRT prescriptions has doubled in the last five years so as so a topic yeah. it is beginning to be spoken about so much more and the thought that so many women's lives could have been changed like yeah years ago um and interestingly like a whole topic again that we probably wouldn't have focused on was the fact that there was a big shortages actually in the uk like last yeah. year and women were yes because of brexit right yeah it was like yeah yeah yeah. And my mum my mom had it she had to switch medications yeah and yeah. Uh, people were driving to like different counties yeah. to try and access it because it's it's something that they can't live their lives without and that dependency yeah. on and to think that um that was something that a couple of years ago people felt um ashamed to use that was one of the way the things that Davina mentions is yeah. that people really saw it as a weakness that they had to uh, rely on this medication because so interesting as yeah. a as a you're taught that menopause is quite natural and something that everybody goes through and yeah I thought that was wild that something you know I think it's because I just also associate Davina McCall with fitness videos yeah, yeah. His brother and then to think that she had such like a positive impact in terms of just basic education yeah. around a topic that people just felt very ashamed of, of talking about um yeah. so that was you know the from even just the few conversations that we had with yeah. like friends and family and our small circle all of those issues to have come up that vary across different phases in the sense that it's not just specific to like one generation it is yeah across your entire life yeah it's quite um eye-opening in a depressing way exactly and i think the other topic that's such a huge one at the moment and we were just saying is is endometriosis or endometriosis i never know how to say it properly i would say endometriosis yeah endo for sure yeah (laughs) let's go for it let's go for it um but yeah we you know i actually when i was looking at some of the stats and there's i think there's a charity called endometrius uk and they had some good stuff on their website about it but it's the second most common gynecological condition in the uk and also one in ten women go through it yeah so 1.5 million people in the uk up to 200 million globally are suspected and it takes on average seven and a half years to be diagnosed with it and for the for the people out there who don't know what endometriosis is or endo um it is basically the tissue that grows in the lining of your womb it's basically finding growths of that tissue outside of that area so almost like yeah kind of cancer in the sense that it's these growths out uh, outside of where they where they should be um and it can cause massive like period pains sickness it can actually cause infertility if not treated Um, and exactly as um, Wallace said the issue seems to be that so many of the symptoms 
can very commonly be misconstrued or associated with just general menstrual cramps um or was it pmd right that's what they're gonna like the, the kind of like more intense version of pms which, yeah exactly yeah, and yeah and um, this is one of the key things is that people yeah the average waiting time for a diagnosis is eight years despite actually endometriosis uk did a test of about a hundred thousand women despite almost 60 percent of them visiting their gp more than 10 times um uh, with symptoms yeah they as an area it seems to focus very specifically also on physical well-being yeah. um and like the removal of the growth versus also acknowledging the mental well-being issues that, and the way that it impacts the, your, your mental health. Yeah. And interestingly, um, they really talk about the additional barriers faced by those from uh, minority ethnic communities where yeah. it is an area that you just don't discuss or talk about at all. So yeah. therefore, you know, that that exacerbates the, the length of time. And yeah. then, especially if it causes infertility when not treated, that can be have devastating consequences for, for women. Yeah. And um, I was reading Emma Barnett wrote an open letter in like Glamour oh, yeah. mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. And actually she was the first person that I saw like on sort of social media talking about it. And I yeah. was like, oh, what is this? And I really like, there was a quote that she said, the only thing more painful about having endometriosis is not knowing that you have it. You feel like you're losing your mind. Yeah, and God, that's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, to not feel, to have something that happens so regularly affects everything that you do and to not feel... Uh, that that is understood yep. seen or actually it can't really be treated except with kind of pain medication yeah there's no cure for it it can i can imagine can feel absolutely hopeless as exacerbate well. and i think like you know i have a friend who also you know kind of spoke to us a little bit about the about these topics and has been diagnosed with endometriosis and they were really lucky because the person who the doctor who they had had was kind of like a little bit of a specialist in it in, in a woman and so they got kind of diagnosed quite quite quickly but one of the things that we've known you know we've I've known her for like over 15 years now and every month in her period she just has to have a day off mm-hmm. because she can literally cannot walk and couldn't well now, now it's different but couldn't walk and stuff and it was when we were with some guy friends and they were like oh where, where is she and I was like oh it's you know time of the month she'll be in bed now that's every month for imagine you're waiting seven years is your work comfortable with that she was very lucky that her manager would knew what was happening because they she literally had to be like I cannot get out of bed I'm literally you know lying down if you're not if you're in a position where you're not able to do that and you're fighting for your life in terms of the pain or whatever like that's just an impossible way to be and imagine having to do that every month and going back to your doctor and saying I'm having this and them saying it's an iron deficiency or it's just PMD or it's just whatever yeah that must just like screw with your brain so much be like, incredibly frustrating yeah. so um yeah. i think interestingly i um i suffer a lot from very extreme period pain yes yeah um and it is something that i think i dismissed a little bit when i was younger in terms of like that whole terminology the time of the month like you know when you're kind of a bit sad and a bit upset that you're like oh and then you start your period the next day and you're like this explains everything i um, cry at old people sitting on their own in restaurants and yeah. then and then i'm like oh i'm horrible <laughs> you know just like a cute old person who's sitting having lunch or something on the road i'm like oh look at them <laughs> but i think it's um quite damaging how yeah. much it can be the the butt of a joke um 100%, and dismissed yeah purely on that basis um and i recently purchased i would say i mean again a whole other topic but the cost of um <laughs> oh god uh, healthcare and you know obviously things like period poverty and yeah. it, i i 
have now bought myself something called I think it's called like My Uvix or something. Please, we're not sponsored by them. I have yeah. not used it yet, so I have. If you no want to sponsor us, get in touch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's basically something that like shoots little vibrations and you attach it to your tummy when you have period pains, and oh it's supposed God. to like massively reduce. Supposed to again reiterating that I am not sponsored and do not know if this yeah. works yet. Um, oh, you just it, bought it. Just bought oh, it because it's oh got God, to the point where like yeah. I literally am sat like with a hot water yeah. bottle. I've seen I yeah, yeah, feel yeah. like a different person. And that happens, to reiterate, 12 times a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will spend months of my life feeling like that. So, um, and do you feel comfortable like telling your work? Like, hey, I'm like, do you, do you feel comfortable at that level? Of I would having say a conversation? To, to women, yes. I don't think I'm quite at the stage where I yeah. would feel, I, ha- I mean, I have mentioned it at points where it's been like, guys, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to just like log off because um, yeah. I'm hunched over. Uh, so yeah I, I think I try and break down my own little barriers that I've created yeah. but it's I suppose it's something that I feel a bit helpless because there's nothing they can do about it like it's yeah. just I, yeah. I see it as just part part and parcel of being a woman but that shouldn't be it it should be that you do question you do challenge and that yeah. amount of pain should not be something that you just sit by and say okay this is you're taught to say that's basically how you should feel and it's normal to feel that way and it's you know it's your body telling you that you're you know and I'm like but my body therefore is screaming at me why is my body like digging I always imagine these tiny little elves like digging at your your whim but I I honestly don't know how you do it because I in between I had a gap in between as I was saying getting my last IUD and I had my first period in about 10 years because I with the IUD I'm one of these people who doesn't get a period right? right and I remember sitting having lunch with a friend and I could not it wasn't even that bad but because I hadn't had it for such a long time I was like I can't concentrate I'm like my stomach is like so bloated I'm in so much pain like I really had to do that and to have that every month like clockwork I I just set alarms for myself at night to wake up every four hours to take medication uh I can't go to sleep and not take um some sort of pain medication because I will just wake up four hours later and feel horrendous and then obviously takes like between half an hour to yeah. an hour to kick in because you also can't take a lot of the medication on an empty stomach. And uh, it's... it's This is horrible. I didn't realise you were doing this every month. Oh, wait, my, my flatmates kind of laugh a little bit because, uh, yeah, it's it's like a kind of... Um, it, I don't know how to how to describe it. It's like almost like a ceremony. Like, I'm like, it has begun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, again, I think I... I'm like that person that's like, oh my God, I'm so jealous when people say that they don't have any pain. Because again, I've normalised that so much over yeah. the last, you know, 20 years or however long I've had a period for. So yeah, it's something that I I, I like to talk about, but beyond, I don't really know what to do about it. Yeah. It doesn't totally. feel like totally. there's anything there. But this is where I think we are with it. Because I think we're at this point now with kind of these issues where we're breaking down barriers, talking about periods and pain and we're, and we're having conversations. I mean, I think... I don't know how it is with the with the men in, in your life, but I'm lucky that my husband is very open and I know that his girlfriends also feel comfortable talking to him about it and stuff. And even my dad, like I think when I got my first coil in, I remember I was lying on the sofa like with a hot water bottle, like feeling sorry for myself. And he came in and he was like, so how's your thing? <laughs> How should we think? I was like, well, the coil in my vagina, Dad. And he's like, stop, stop. But now he's much more like, you know, kind of like talks about it and things. But I think it's, it's, I think for, for God, for men and for those who don't experience these kind of things, it's, it's not that we, it's not that we want like you to, 
I don't know, we just want to be like heard and seen and acknowledged because I think the problem is, is that we're so fed up of, we tell these stories to our friends and stuff, but it's like, are you really listening? Are you listening that Lauren every month is like going through this and like what that means on like a monthly basis? And of course there are barriers that men have and, you know, there's healthcare issues in terms of like suicide and mental health and that kind of thing and stuff. But I think there's this huge gap that's emerging and we all, the women all know about it, but like the men don't and we need that to kind of be closed, you know, at some point. So... Yeah. Well, that brings hell. us very nicely onto the question that we always try and ask, yeah. which is what does a feminist future of women's healthcare actually look like? What exactly. are the things, and we'll come to what we can do uh, as, as listeners, yep. uh, as individuals um, in this area. But I actually, one of the first things that I, I did not read the full thing, but I did read the uh, UK's women's health strategy, um, which it. was updated last year. And oh, so Boris Johnson was overseeing that. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, who was health minister? Oh, still Matty Hancock. Yeah. That's what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Yay. <laughs> the other day, I honestly had a moment where I was like, who's the health minister anymore? Like, <laughs> Do we have just one like, anymore? It's been so much change. It's Steve Barkley, but... by the way. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's another story. So. <laughs> um, but so they basically set out their 10-year ambitions for yeah. the strategy, the areas that they wanted to focus on. Number one is voices being heard, people feeling seen. Yeah. Um, number two, interestingly, like rather than male as a default in terms of the experiences where we, it's it's a double kind of a two-pronged approach, which is that um, female-specific disorders actually get spoken about and given the same level of attention. Yeah. Um, interestingly, there was a couple of examples of like whole women's... Uh, conditions not even featuring on the NHS oh website, yeah. uh, and so like new pages being given to these th- to to things so people can can research them. Yeah, totally. um, but also that that uh, for conditions that can be experienced by both men and, and women, that it's con- both both perspectives are considered by default rather than just one. Yeah, um, a big focus is around reducing the disparities in experience between different groups of women. So based yeah. on their racial ethnicity, sexual on- orientation, etc. And just more research into clinical trials, um, just kind of almost catching up as as we've said in in particular areas i would love i i haven't i've tried to do some deep dives into this before but i would love to go into the money that's being put into women's like women's reproductive health even like contraceptive research versus like the, the men's and yeah. if i ever make loads of money you hear it here i will be researching for good contraceptive there's a fucking gel that the men have why are we not getting a gel look it up male contraceptive gel they put it under their arms it, oh. yeah they literally put it under their arms and it stops them from doing it there's like loads of couples it's from I think it's from the University of Edinburgh. There was a couple who were just using that for one thing. And I remember seeing the headline and being like, a fucking gel? Are you joking? Like, we've had everything worse. So if I become Again. a millionaire, women's contraceptive gel. <laughs> to reiterate, we are not sponsored by male yeah. contraceptive gel either. Given that we if you want to get in touch though. <laughs> Please do. And interestingly, one of the things that they did call out is that COVID has massively exacerbated oh, yeah. these issues. So where they even knew that there was a gap it's got even worse. So like the World Economic Forum, their global gender gap report looks at lots of different areas in terms of um, socio and economic inequality. But they basically suggested that the pandemic had created a step back of almost 39 years due to the pandemic. So whether there was a where there was a dearth of information and 
data and research, it's got even worse. Um, And actually, when they polled in um, women, 75% of them basically thought COVID-19 had made things uh, significantly worse for them in terms of access to GP appointments, like mental health (laughs) care, etc. And as we were saying, you know, for anyone who is based in the UK, anyone who is not, you know, the, the National Health Service that we have right now is being attacked on every front, really. And, and you know up the workers who are striking it's the right thing to do and that kind of thing but I can imagine that stretched services where there's already these gaps nor these issues even as you were saying like accessing a female doctor or a female nurse that is only going to get worse like these these problems are exacerbated by a system that is crumbling due to you know due to underfunding and so we're only going to see this this get worse yeah and, yeah so I think um but then that's why it made me think a little bit around like things that shouldn't cost the earth, right, in terms of changes or things yeah. that we think could be improved. So one of the big things was around education. Yeah. Um, both, interestingly, uh, focusing on enforced sexual education for um, boys and girls in kind of from primary school age. Yeah. And the biggest uh, shift that I think versus our own experiences is that the government are now recommending that you don't do any segregation of classes so that yeah. both um, boys and girls learn about each other's sort of health issues yes um uh which is a big one and then so that's education of sort of i suppose uh the masses but then more specifically having a curricula for doctors yes um, huge thing yeah that focuses on female health topics so making sure that regardless of your experience and if you're able to see it and you're comfortable feeling seeing a male gp that they're able to talk and articulate uh, and understand topics that they might not necessarily have dealt with themselves uh, I think is a is a really big one, and actually interestingly, and I know I feel like I'm absolutely loving Davina McCall as part of this. But her, um, her... this episode is sponsored by Davina McCall. <laughs> Get in touch. But she her documentary actually resulted in um, hundreds of nurses volunteering to complete a six hour menopause course. So like That's something amazing, that they, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is something that we by simply just understanding it more, understanding yeah. the different ways in which it can manifest itself. Um, that would be massively helpful and, and actually would solve for yeah. a lot of the types of things that people come in for that are yeah. looking for like some sort of explanation. But so. like, isn't that so powerful? Like it really shows that these things that make it onto mainstream TV in this way are so important in creating a space for dialogue to happen, creating that, like bringing it to people who maybe wouldn't. Like I can imagine there were lots of women who were sitting down across the country you know maybe who are going through the menopause watching that and their husbands or sons or our daughters and stuff were in the room too we've all done it we've all sat in the room with our mums and watched whatever is on you know on the tv with them and to have that be there and be an open and kind of like place to talk about is is incredible and so i think there's something around how do we on menopause particularly like how do we have those difficult conversations because i I don't think i know that much about it apart from having my mum's experience and maybe some aunties like yeah i i've never been prepped for it exactly and we will go through it it feels mad i get that it will not be the priority topic for us right now but it's something that we need to think about and be very empathetic like sympathetic towards it as well totally yeah um i actually kind of that was a big area that i in terms of imagining a feminist future yeah is that you reduce taboo and stigma on women's health topics more generally and i do think education is a really big part of that yeah and interestingly just so obviously education of the masses and education of specifically um, healthcare professionals. But one of the other things that I read is that um, as part of the surveys that they were doing and the health strategy was looking at how people access information, as we yeah. talked about. So a less reliance on like those communities and... Word of mouth, and I guess, word of mouth. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Looking at 
uh, a lot of women tended to obviously use online and Google, um, but actually uh, bloggers and yes. um, healthcare, oh yeah. uh, you know, people, it's, it's something that people go to for more like well-being holistically. Yeah. And so they're looking at like the NHS partnering with specific people on like targeted informational uh, YouTube videos, which yeah. I thought was a like, again, just a, it's nothing not, not new necessarily, just a different yeah. way of accessing people and giving people the information that they need. I actually watched a video recently of a woman who videoed her whole um, IUD insertion. Oh, really? So she was like, she was kind of, did a bit before, she was vlogging and she sort of showed the doctors, she asked if she could do it, I think it was in the States, and, and then she like literally videoed herself, like yeah. sort of set up so that she was videoing her face getting it done. And 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 I think it's in some ways it's kind of where like friends and I were talking about this like how much do you want to know because unfortunately it's going to be painful either way but for some people they feel more comfortable knowing the ins and outs but having that first-hand experience and having people talk about it is so valuable because you get a whole range of experiences there don't you absolutely yeah there was actually a great and I was just trying to look it up um the I'm now trying to find it basically there was this really really good statement about how mm, if when you support it's like it's been proven that when you support women's access to healthcare it like helps the entire community oh like God, it makes yeah, it's like... the health and well-being of a whole a much bigger group of people yeah. um so much better than just that what that one person so it kind of has these ripple effects so a uh, big part of uh, education with the aim to also just like create more conversations about this and reduce stigma and taboo as a result and the other big big aspect was around encouraging a personalized care and decision-making through the process. So yes. um, mm. people feeling like they have the right to understand the you know, yep. healthcare pathway, challenge it potentially, um, understand. So something like um, my mum was saying in the same way as the pill, there's different types of HRT depending on like your estrogen yep. levels. Yep. And so you can get a blood test done and then that helps to kind of inform the treatment that you're given. And I think um, it comes back to that idea of not trying to create almost like gendered care pathways but recognizing that like there might be different types of treatment for like gender should be incorporated into the healthcare diagnosis process that's that's true equity is when these things are kind of like because i think sometimes people want equality but having access to the same care for men and women is kind of not what we need or like i think it's that we need equity in terms of like that the the um tailored approach fits actually what's needed in that in that sense so i think i i know what you mean you don't want to like constantly segregate it and stuff but sometimes that's needed to then yeah I have think it's, these... it's a factor that needs yeah. to be considered yeah and i think um i think so much of it is a about obviously the physical differences yeah but b like it's also the fact that if we take that schizophrenia example, yeah, like they might be at different stages of their life. They might have families of their, um, yeah, women, you know, getting diagnosed later in their lives and like have dependents and particularly yeah. when it's kind of potentially psychosis related, that can have massive kind of implications. So, yeah, uh, yeah I thought that was quite an interesting sort of aim in terms of trying to create, yeah, just more of a dialogue and more choice for yeah. women. Oh, um, our favorite word. Uh, yeah, we I haven't mean, said it yet. We're going in. We're going right. I think we're getting going. better at like yeah, yeah, getting yeah, yeah, yeah. To it at the end rather than it just being the kind of go-to, go-to statement. Sorry, yeah. For those who haven't listened to any other episodes, we always end up basically coming back to the feminist like, future yeah. thing about choice, choice. <laughs> um, so which keywords. is true. But yes, yeah, yeah. so you have. So basically, you. If I was to imagine it from my own personal experience, it is obviously having access to. A GP, whether that's online, in person, yeah. uh, understanding who that is, and them understanding your history and your um, potential 
context that's relevant to to your particular example going being able to have like an unembarrassed discussion yeah about yeah. how i'm feeling not normalizing pain yeah or things as just like women's problems and then understanding the treatment choice that is basically offered to me and the difference yeah. and and the pros and the cons in terms of like the impact of that uh and feeling kind of comfortable in the choice that i've made and also you know equipped with the information that i need to make a different choice in the future if if things don't work out the way that they I think we there's also something around and I was talking it actually like weirdly in some ways I've had to be more clear about how something affects me because I'm accessing healthcare in a country where it's not the first language I, I'm very lucky in the Netherlands that obviously people speak English to a really high degree but I was talking about it with with Joost, my husband and he said to me when I was talking about this I sort of described what I was going to say to the doctor and he was like you need to be more clear you need to be like this is very painful because if you say uncomfortable if you say these kind of things it's very wishy-washy yeah and so you need to go in and I think there's something around and I think most women try to do this but I think like name it what it is don't yeah. be afraid to go in and have that difficult conversation because if you're going in and minimizing or you're trying to think like I don't want to take up space or I don't want to feel uncomfortable and that kind of thing yeah. sometimes you have to go in and be like this is really shit yeah. this is what's happening to me on a kind of like monthly basis or however I'm feeling in that way name it as it is yeah. and push for that and and have like faith in yourself like be an advocate for yourself yeah. it's annoying that you have to do that but I think that's so important to like just stand your ground a little bit and maybe know? maybe that is the, the passing piece which is things are getting better so much yes so conversations much so. are happening However, you cannot rely on the system to fight your cause. Ultimately, you need to prioritise you. You need to recognise the flaws in the structural elements of, you know, the NHS and the whole healthcare system in in the UK and other countries as well. And you need to, yeah, as you would for any other aspect of your life, just make sure that you fight for you and yep. what's important because your health is the most important thing exactly um, and for the men out there you know who, and people who don't experience this like listen to those in your life who are you know create spaces where they feel comfortable to come to you and have those conversations whether it's your sister your partner your friend that kind of thing I think for you know the fact that we're at a point now where I think we're getting more comfortable like that we're able to talk about this and have these honest conversations it also opens it up to to them to be like oh I'd never knew that and mm. I, because sometimes it's we can also assume that everyone has this or understands it but like just like your friend thinking it was IED rather than IUD <laughs> we really do have to sometimes start with basics and be like hey this is really like yeah. what happened have you seen all those videos where they like try and get men to like point out different parts of like a vagina and stuff like think about it like that think or, about um, it like <laughs> it's like how many tampons are they using yeah yeah yeah, in a day, day yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and then <laughs> like I, I love I've how much blood do they lose like I saw one guy and he was like I don't know like four pints I was like how much blood do we have in us like I'm not sure like but these are people making decisions about our bodies so like you know like I think we've got to really kind of it's annoying that you have to put in the work and, and we you know we talk about this a lot like this idea of like emotional labor that sometimes mm. you feel frustrated that you're like oh my god but if you have couple people comfortable in your in your life that you can do that with I think it's really good and anyone who's getting an IUD bring your partner <laughs> I will tell you they will shit themselves afterwards <laughs> my husband was like oh my god I'm so sorry that you had to go through that like, I, was, I was like yes see horrible like <laughs> Or you can create spaces yeah. for them to talk about it. Maybe you know. we should just like pair up a man and be like, what are you doing today? Free. Come come watch this when we get an IED and have an experience. So there are a range of different things that you can do. That's what please, that you have a choice in how you want to tackle this. I want to mandate that. Yeah. <laughs> Every, man has to. Every man has to. One half unprotected sex. I have to go and watch someone get an IED put in. Like, 
<laughs> Going back to that education point, add that to the curriculum. Actually, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traumatized men, boys. Right, I'm like, getting on the yeah. phone to the health secretary yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, Steve Barkley. <laughs> yeah, Steve. Hi, Steve. Just some thoughts for you. Uh, but no, and Wallace, I've really enjoyed this topic. It has, it's... It's such a vast topic. And as you said, like, we'll never, ever get into the internet. So, but hopefully this is giving you a little spark to go away and maybe read some more. Watch Davina McCall's documentary, <laughs> not sponsored, but obviously very important. Or just generally just to kind of like open up and think about the people in your life and if they're experiencing those kind of things and how you can support them. They will experience it at yeah. some point. They yeah. might not be right now, but they probably will at some point. And I think... I feel like there should be a thing that, like, if you have bad periods, like, someone should send you a cake every month or something. You know, like, can we do, like, a sponsored? Yeah. That would be a great media campaign to have. Yeah. Like, chocolate. Cadbury's. <laughs> so many ideas Get in touch. Here. Uh, but, yeah, and if you have any, kind of, your own stories or yeah. topics that you, um, this has, kind of, made you want to think about or want us to talk about, like, please do check out... Um, our Instagram profile. I yep. can never remember the handle, Wallace. Feminist Futures pod. And, pod. and Twitter is Podcast Futures, because somebody else said Feminist Futures. And then the um, Gmail is just uh, feministfuturespod at gmail.com. So you're more than welcome to get in touch with us. Please yeah. do. We would love it. Yeah. Um, and we very much pick our topics based on what we feel is relevant to the people that listen. So um, thank you. Yeah. Very much enjoyed So this, nice. Wallace. I feel like we had a little nesting. We're feeling more better. Yeah. Um, we hope that you're enjoying this wherever you are. I think it will be, yeah, it'll be the first of February. So it's a nice month. We got through January. Well done. That's a, a difficult one to get through. And yeah, as always, we're here. Reach out to us and we will be back next month with our next episode. Perfect. Take care, everyone.